It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family. Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing financial advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Call Doug, Linda, and Deborah at their office, 919-872-7000, with your financial planning questions. That's 919 919- Now, here are Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Well, Doug, Linda, um, there are a lot of questions that people ask. And I thought I would bring a few of those to our listening audience this evening. In case you are thinking about setting an appointment to come and see us at Lewis Financial Management, here are some things that I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Doug and Linda to give us their feedback in regard to some of the things that you might want to ask before meeting with a financial planner for the first time. Linda, um, what could you think of would be your first piece of advice in regard to meeting with a financial planner for the first time? Well, a person, uh, one of the essential questions that a person should ask themselves is, what are your financial goals and what are your personal goals? It's important that whoever you use as your advisor, and if you come to meet with us, it's important that your financial planner understand where you, the client, see yourself in the short term, in the long term, and your advisor will determine and record what these personal goals are when you discuss them and what your financial goals are depending on what stage of life you're at. And then from there, set actionable steps such as saving more, saving more money or shifting uh, your investment strategies, having a second look at where your portfolio is at and what should you do next. Yeah, working with an advisor can always help motivate individuals to keep sight of their goals. I know at Lewis Financial Management, mm-hmm. we are constantly in all of the meetings with clients looking at what me, what were your goals initially? Where are they now? Are you achieving your goals? Have you exceeded your goals? Are you maintaining your goals? And so forth. And actually, there have been surveys done recently that found that baby boomers who work with certified financial planners as advisors are twice as likely to feel confident about having sufficient retirement savings as those who are trying it on their own. So first thing, Deborah, Mm -hmm. to answer your question, first thing is... What are your financial and your personal goals? All right. What would be another question that you should ask yourself in preparation for meeting with a financial planner for the first time? What is your financial fitness? That's what I would call it, financial fitness. In other words, when you go to that first meeting, you want to bring key financial documents to see your financial fitness. You want to include brokerage statements, 401k statements, and tax returns to this first meeting. And then you want to make sure that at this first meeting, there's some type of analysis of the paperwork to build a strong understanding of the financial state before making any recommendations. If you want to call us during the week to set up an appointment for yourself, give me a call at 919-872-7000 and we will get started. We'll make a list of the questions that are on your mind. At the end of the meeting, well, how do you know what comes next? Let's say you've met with the financial planner for the first time. You now have uh, your first meeting under your belt. What and how do you define your next steps? Well, at Lewis Financial Management, what we have done for over 30 years now is able to be identified as an anagram anagram called EGADIM, E-G-A-D-I-M, EGADIM. At the end of that first meeting, We want to have now an established relationship. What is the relationship between the client 
and us. And, you know, in our office, we actually implement this in, in the form of a written, here's an outline of what we promise to do for you as our client. That's right. Once we know what the goals are, then we go ahead and write it down as what is the relationship between us and you. Yeah. Then next Second, week, go ahead. Well, right after the E for Egadim comes a G, and that means that we gather a lot more information. We want to see copies of your wills, of your trust. We want to see uh, a lot of more information that we want to gather uh, after we've met with you. So that's the G of Egadim. That's right. And then A, we analyze the data. That's right. We analyze. That's the A. We analyze all the data that we've asked you to bring us, your tax returns, your financial statements, your brokerage statements, and so forth. And only then do we go to the D of Egadim. Which is to develop the plan or develop the recommendations. We develop a plan. That's right. We develop a plan with recommendations in that plan so that then comes the eye of Egadim. We implement the plan. And most importantly, we monitor the plan. We stay with you all the way month by month, year by year. So after that first meeting, there is Egadim. Establish the relationship, gather the data, analyze the data, develop a plan, implement the plan, and monitor the plan. If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Hi, Bill. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Yes, hello. I'm uh, interested in uh, asking about when I can retire, if I can retire early. Good. Tell me a little bit about yourself. We'll see if I can tell you the answer. How old are you? 45. 45 years old. Married or single? Married. Married. Any children? One child. Living at home? Yes. Okay. One child at home. What's your income, Bill? Uh, it's high. It's 1.5. One and a half million? Yes, sir. Per year? Yes. And how long is that due to last? Uh, as long as I continue to work. All right. How long? All right, well, t- all right. We've got your income. Obviously, your expenses aren't a million and a half. So technically, uh, you're you're not having a problem covering your living expenses, I presume. No, not at all. OK, let's go to your assets. What does your investment portfolio look like? Um, I have a fairly extensive. I have a uh, IRA that's actually fairly fairly small with about 350 that's a SEP IRA okay hang on one second you got a SEP at 350,000 got you I have a uh, mutual fund portfolio okay of 1.5 in, in, in index funds all right so you've got a million and a half in mutual funds in, in index funds what else do you have uh, about uh, 100 in stock funds Hundred thousand in in uh, in stocks or in stock sto- funds? Uh, individual stocks. In stocks, funds. okay. Uh, yes, a hundred stocks. My wife has her own portfolio of about one hundred and twenty-five in mutual funds. All right. I have one hundred and seventy in a five twenty-nine plan for my son. What's that in? Most of it's in a uh, in index funds as well. In a total stock market in a uh, five hundred index fund. All right. Is that a North Carolina five twenty-nine or is it at another state? Uh, out of state. One Virginia, one Iowa. All right. I have two commercial properties mm-hmm. that uh, are worth uh, 1.5, of which I owe 1.2. And those cover their costs per year with okay. rental. Yeah, 1.2 million of uh, mortgage debt on that? Correct. Okay. And then uh, several other properties uh, combined worth of uh, 600, of which I owe... 400 plus my personal residence which is worth about 750 and I owe about 350 all right so you're carrying about two million dollars of debt first of all I notice yeah and your question is when can you retire the question was going to ultimately turn upon financial independence which is based upon your living expense needs do you have an idea what it costs to support you at your desired lifestyle Sure. Only the my living expenses themselves are not that high. Probably in the two hundred range. It's just the, the carrying cost of the investment right, properties. Right. Yeah. No. I want. I want to. You're right. I want to separate those. So you think about two hundred thousand would support your desired lifestyle. Yes. All right. The first thing is you're going to need about four million three hundred thousand of total investment portfolio to be able to support the kind of lifestyle that you're living and also pay the taxes on it. 
Got it. If this sounds like you, definitely call during the week at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. However, that also assumes that you have, uh, that you've gotten rid of the commercial property. The commercial property sounds to me, I mean, personally, I would say that's a real losing deal. To carry $1.2 million of debt and have only a few hundred thousand of equity and to know that you know, you could be leaving your wife a big mess. I mean, I don't know many wives would be happy to re- inherit $2 million of debt. Uh, I, I've dealt with a number of widows with mortgages in the last 25 years. And so that well, seems... It's a, grade, it's a grade A commercial property that, that has a 15-year lease. And uh, the purpose was to, uh, you know, turn it over to a 1031 exchange uh, in due course. Yeah, well... If you're asking me my opinion, that's a bad strategy, and it's it's something you should get rid of because it's not going to help you achieve your goals of being able to, uh, at least if you're interested in retiring now and becoming financially independent now, you want to move in the opposite direction. 1031 is simply delaying the pain. It doesn't yep. do anything for you, and there are a number of complications that are there, uh, the capital gain tax and so forth, you'd have to deal with it, but... Bottom line is how to achieve 4.3 million. Your mutual funds are a million and a half, and your SEP IRA 350 that puts you up at a million eight five. You add the um, the 125 of other mutual funds and the hundred thousand 225, so you're at about two and a half million. So, so what you want to do is you want to go ahead and aggressively start what we call a pay-yourself-first plan to see how rapidly you could get yourself to that point. In other words, if indeed your expenses are only 200000 and if indeed the commercial property is paying its own debt-carrying cost, then you should be able to put aside a very strong amount on a monthly basis. Yeah. If you do that, Working with a spreadsheet and working with a software program with the, uh, that, that, that you know that a, a decent financial planning firm should have. We, we we've got a pretty high, highly sophisticated one in our firm, but working that way, you ought to be able to come up with well, how long would it take me to accumulate four point three million? Now, starting with about two and a half million, you have to have some assumption of what you're gonna of what your money's gonna grow at. Mm-hmm. I would get rid of all your index funds because that, that you're doing nothing but waiting for the next disaster. Index funds are simply riding the market. And that's not why you should be in mutual funds. You should always be in mutual funds because of managers, because of men and women who give you some logic of what, why you want to give them money. To just sock your money away into a, uh, you know, into a, a fund that's going to ride the market. I've had more people come to me who show me that, you know, they lost half of their retirement account by riding through with index funds. So we don't want to we don't want to be that way. We want to be we want to have a a philosophy of asset management that is proactive, not reactive. Our number in Raleigh is eight, seven, two, seven thousand. That's USA seven thousand. But right now, I think that you're. What's what's basically missing in everything you've got is that you don't have any asset, you don't allocation. Have an asset allocation. Yeah, there is no right asset allocation. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, it's all hit and miss. And uh, I mean, you've done a great job of accumulating, but if the if your goal is to retire, how are we going to get there sooner than later? Right. Well, you want to protect yourself on the downside, on the loss side, not to go ahead and just uh, think of the upside or think of the accumulation side. Right. And so there needs to be an overall asset allocation model superimposed upon what you have and what you will be putting in. Now, the other part of the equation is your SEP at your age is going to also require a strategy to help support you. That can be done. The IRS does allow you an exception, even though you'd be under 59 and a half. There is a way that we have clients get by that using Section 72T. But again, everything is based upon how it's all allocated according to some model that you're comfortable with or that we're comfortable with is going to go ahead and do what, you, what, we, what we think it's going to do and then move along in that, in that direction. 
The other thing I don't like is I don't know why you've got $100,000 in individual stocks. I wouldn't have you in any individual stocks. I'm not a I'm not a professional stock picker, so uh, so then how did you pick are, them? Uh, these are companies that I've become familiar with that uh, I wanted to wanted to invest in. Uh huh. Well, generally, we tell people don't don't that's do why that. There's, that's why there's so little there because I really do not feel comfortable doing. That. Yeah, uh, almost always we advise people never invest. Uh, individual stocks and never invest in companies that you think you know a lot about. I've had more IBMers in the last 20 years who have grown as they've learned that lesson than you can imagine. Mm -hmm. uh, because no one ever knows, and if they do know, the market's already priced it. There's nothing that you would know that others aren't, that, you know, that, that the professional mutual fund managers aren't knowing. Sometimes it's cool to own stocks, but it's a risky yeah. posture as you go. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website, DougAndLinda.com. So, so I Doug, wouldn't do that. Are you saying to, to go into a stock mutual fund versus stock, individual stocks? No. No, there are three different things we're talking about at the same time. You can buy an individual stock, or you can buy into a mutual fund, which is a basket of maybe a hundred stocks. Right. Or you can buy into a basket of mutual a basket of stocks, a mutual fund that has a manager. Right. Right. And there's a major difference. And one, both of the mutual funds will give you diversification, which is safer than the individual stock. Because the only reason you ever buy a stock is because you're waiting to sell it. You never buy a stock because it's, it has no value on its own. It's, it's a worthless piece of paper. It has, no, it has no value according to the IRS. If you lose it, you tear it up or anything, as opposed to a bond or something which is a debt security. So on the other hand, if you have a mutual fund, you don't really own, I mean, legally you own a fund, but what you really are doing is you're putting money in the hands of a, of a manager, of a trader, who's making the decisions for you of when to buy or when to sell. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I do think diversification is the crucial issue. The question then comes to how many different mutual funds, and there are other investment types that I like, by the way. I think you should have REITs in your portfolio. There should be real estate investments in a portfolio. I have a millions of dollars in real estate portfolio. In REITs? Well, not in REITs, but in real estate. That's, uh, well, that's again, a segment of my portfolio. Well, again, that's the same. That's exactly the same problem. There it is again. Anytime you own anything individually, you're the guru. And that means you think you're smarter than the other guy. And at least in my case, I'm convinced I'm not smarter than the other guy. I'm convinced that if I try to be the winner, whether it's in Las Vegas, whether it's buying a piece of real estate or whether it's buying a stock, there's somebody out there who's smarter than I. And I'm waiting for an accident to happen. Mm -hmm. And I've seen it happen to so many hundreds and hundreds of clients through the years that I'm pretty convinced that's what happens but the REITs are very different if you go into a mutual fund where there are managers that are trading commercial REITs buying and selling and holding them for the, then you're not you're not the owner of the of the of the building you're not carrying the debt you don't have any 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 debt liability do you see the difference yes of course yes so i don't i don't know if that helps you or not but that's at least the, the way that I would answer the question, when can I retire, as soon as you have accumulated $4.3 and as soon as we're comfortable that it's positioned properly, then that's, you know, that's the way you do it. And, uh, Bill, if, you, if you'd like further information or any other questions, give us a call at the office. That's well, in Raleigh, you. and that number is 872-7000. That's USA 7000. All right, you have a good night. Thank you, Bill. We enjoyed your call. Take care. Interesting call. You know, uh, obviously, he's had a change in his situation, Lynn. You can tell because he's only accumulated about $1.8 And as he said, it wasn't that way four or five years ago, three, four years ago. But right. with an income, income of a million five, then it looks very good if he can hold that income and get it the excess built into a portfolio properly, then he will be able to achieve his goals. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Well, Doug, people uh, choosing a financial planner 
may have made the best decision by working with a financial planner, right? Yeah, I think so, Lynn. The, the best investment decision some people ever make is to work with a financial planner because a financial planner, if you think about it, there are really about seven things that the financial planner can do. First of all, a financial planner may help you increase your investment results. And a financial planner takes the time to understand you and to understand your goals. And of course, third, a financial planner can recommend funds that fit your needs because lots of mutual funds don't. Four, a financial planner may help you decide how to allocate your assets. And a financial planner can analyze how changing conditions affect you. Six, a financial planner can work to deliver information while it's still timely. And seven, a financial planner helps make investing much more convenient. So of all the investment decisions a person ever makes, it seems to me the most important one just might be the decision to put a certified financial planner on your side. Now, you talk about how a planner may help you increase your investment results, Linda. You know, the famous Dalbar study, which we've talked about on the air in the past, was a 10 and a half year study of investments made in over 5,000 mutual funds. And it was conducted by the Dalbar Services. And they illustrated why it was so important because investors who used a financial planner outperformed those who didn't by over 17% in their stock funds, and they outperformed by over 21% in their bond funds. And, you know, people may ask why. Well, do-it-yourself investors were more likely to sell on the basis of short-term bad news, and they held their funds an average 2.6 years. But professionally advised investors were more patient. They held their funds an average 3.5 years, so they gained greater opportunities for long-term growth. Right. Right. Holding the hands of the investors through tough times made the crucial difference. Now, we also said that a financial planner will take the time to understand you and your goals. A financial planner makes it their business to learn who you are and where you are with your investment program and where you want to go. And they help you understand the process right. and the vehicles. Right. So from getting to know you, if you know, from this getting to know you process, then your financial planner can offer customized investment strategies for retirement planning, for enhancing your after-tax return opportunities, for planning your parents' financial needs in latter years, and for funding your children's educations. Right? That's exactly right, Lynn. To any of our listeners, if you have a question or if you would like to receive our introductory packet of information, I'll be happy to send it to you. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That is USA 7000. Well, Lynn, you know, you probably have spoken to, how many people have you spoken to have called our offices uh, in the last five years? I would say between, I don't know, maybe... Close to 4,000 people. Maybe 4,000 people that you've spoken to. And uh, every one of them that comes in our office, you have them write down before they meet with me the list of questions that they want to have addressed, right? Right, because most people, you know, that have accumulated generally have things that they've thought about that they wish they could ask somebody. What would you say is the are the, the, the most common questions that you see people write down on their list of questions? How much should I have in my emergency fund or how much should I be saving or are my investments in the right vehicles? Um, should I sell my house? Uh, should I prepay my mortgage? Just, I mean, they're innumerable. Uh-huh. So you think the most common ones are how much in an emergency fund and um, what does my portfolio look what's like? What's my overall my investment in- portfolio look like? Right. How about retirement? Uh, yes. How can I plan for retirement? Am I doing the proper, am I in the right direction or am I, I, am I doing the right things in planning for retirement? Do you have many people that write down questions? Will I be able to make it? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Do you? That's yeah. They wonder based on what income they have currently, are they going to be able to retire when they want to? Mm-hmm. Are they putting enough aside from their income? Right. Well, that's interesting because understanding you and your goals is the job of the planner. Now, we also said that the planner can recommend different funds. 
And mutual funds offer lots of professional management and diversification and liquidity and all those good things. But how do you choose among the funds that are out there? Well, your financial planner can help you see how well a fund's objectives, uh, their track record, and their management style match your specific needs and your goals. So usually when you work with a financial planner, you should be able to receive information on how much volatility the fund's managers will assume to achieve your objectives. Right, Doug? Yeah. You also ought to be able to get, if your planner is worth their salt, the fund's performance compared to other funds with similar objectives. And how the fund is done, not only in up markets, but also in down markets. And you should see how the fund's performance is versus its respective investment indices over different time periods. And of course, you also want to know what types of stocks or bonds the fund invests in and how those securities can affect, you know, the performance of the fund. And a financial planner can help you decide how to allocate your assets Owning just one fund isn't always the best strategy. Right. And, you know, we've always said, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. So it's important to diversify your investments among a number of different funds that can reduce your overall risk. Right, Doug? Mm-hmm. Things like how many funds you need to own are questions that you have a right to know. Are two funds right? Five funds right? What percentage of your investment dollars should you put in income funds? And how much in stock funds and how much in money market and how much in domestic versus international funds. Well, all of these things are important to get a handle on. And your financial planner, after he learns your objectives and your time horizon and your risk tolerances, can find recommendations that are tailored to your individual needs. And there are a lot of issues in in deciding on mutual funds other than just Let's buy a fund. Your planner should inform you when there's a change in the fund's management style. And, and he should also help reallocate your portfolio to meet changing needs. We also stated that your financial planner can help you analyze how changing conditions affect you. Now, financial publications like to show lists of hot funds to buy now. But, you know, those recommendations do change frequently. So whose list should you believe? Right. Well, With a professional on your side, using an advisor, you can gain an understanding of how changing economic and market conditions affect your particular situation. So when you do make a change in your investment portfolio, there's a logical reason behind it. Right. Which would you prefer? The personalized services of a financial planner who you know and trust? Or? Generalized information from a journalist. Which is what the public generally is listening to. Right. Generalized information, buy this fund, sell this fund from a publication. And people do get confused. And, I, you know, I, as we were talking about all the listeners that have called over the years, people really do get confused. I had a lady call last week. She and her husband were trying to figure out where to put some retirement money. And this so-called financial planner came out and sold them some whole life insurance. Wow. In three years, she's never participated in her company's 401k retirement plan. And instead, bought some, bought some whole, whole life terrible? insurance. So anyway, um, people do definitely need to work with a financial planner. And if I can help any more, call the office. Our office number is 8727000. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. And you can also go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. DougAndLinda.com. I was wondering if maybe we could go over a mutual fund selection checklist. That might help our listeners. That's a great idea, Linda. Mutual funds really can be excellent investments for beginning investors and sophisticated investors alike. However, the decision process can take a lot more time than you have to spare, really. So here's a quality control checklist that can help folks streamline the selection process and make the final mutual fund selection. First, do the objectives of the mutual fund you're considering meet your personal investment objective? Have you emotionally committed to leaving your money in this investment long-term through the ups and downs in the market cycle? Right? That's right. Is the fund that you're considering part of a family of funds? Have you reviewed the fund's 12-month, 5-year, and 10-year track record? Is the current portfolio manager the same manager who produced the track record that you reviewed? Have you reviewed the costs associated with the fund, management costs, marketing costs, acquisition costs, and liquidation costs? 
you have the privilege of telephone exchanges between mutual funds in the family? Like, is there a cost for exchanges? Or is a specified time frame required to elapse between exchanges? Have you investigated the fund's reputation for investor services? Have you researched whether the fund has grown considerably in size over the last five years? And you really need to consider whether this will affect performance. And is the investment philosophy of the fund the same today as it was five years ago and ten years ago? And last, have you investigated the tax aspects of this fund? That's about 11 questions that people should consider uh, in in looking at the mutual funds that they are selecting, correct? You know, Lynn, so often people go into an excellent fund for the very wrong reasons, or they go into the wrong uh, uh, fund or a bad fund uh, with just too little education, not knowing what is a proper checklist to go through the selection of the fund. And really working with the help of an advisor, I think, is crucial, especially an advisor that has a checklist to walk down. And if you can't go through the individual checklist yourself, then you should make sure that your advisor is able to answer all of the questions on these 10 points in the checklist. Seek competent financial advice. And if you have any financial questions, Call me at 872-7000. That's 872-7000. Doug, earlier you you had one of the questions on the checklist uh, had to do with considering uh, a fund that's part of a family of funds. Could you maybe explain that? How how does that work? Yeah, I guess, Lynn, those of us in the financial and investment world, we have our own jargon, which we assume everybody else in, in the world knows. A family of mutual funds is a common term. You know... A mutual fund itself, Linda, is a pool of investments. It's not one investment. It's a giant pool maybe of a 100 stocks or a 100 bonds or uh, a mixture of stocks and bonds. And this pool is managed by a man or a woman that's a mutual fund manager who is sort of like a stockbroker. He's buying and selling, buying and selling out of the fund. And you put your money into the pool and you've got a little piece of all of them. So you've diversified your investments and safeguarded yourself by having a small amount of money blended in with a whole bunch of other people in a larger pool. Now, that's a mutual fund, of course, which we all know. A family of mutual funds is a company that sponsors more than one mutual fund. It's one company that might have a mutual fund of stocks for those investors that want to be playing the stock market but want to be a little more conservative than doing it themselves so they would go into a stock mutual fund. And then there might be another mutual fund that is just for conservative investors that want to be in Ginny Mays and that mutual fund has a whole bunch of Ginny Mays which are Government National Mortgage Association bond pools. And then another mutual fund might be a mutual fund which is just a portfolio of international stocks For those people that want to have money in the international arena and they want a manager who is buying and selling international stocks for them. And then there might be another mutual fund which has just government bonds in it. And again, they want a manager who will decide when to sell a low yielding government bond and buy a higher yielding government bond, etc. And have their money in a pool with a bunch of other people, but all of their money being invested in government bonds. Well, each of these mutual funds can be under one giant family head or family heading so that actually there are different mutual funds for different types of people's objectives. And one way of selecting mutual funds is just trying to pick the best mutual fund track record that meets what attracts you. The danger in that very often is especially if it's a fund that has a load, that's another term for commission going in, that if you don't like the performance of that fund after a few years and you want to move the money from that fund over to another mutual fund, if it's not part of a family, that is of a fund group, then you will have to pay a second commission going into the next one. Whereas typically the mutual fund families allow you to move from one of their mutual funds, let's say their European stock fund. You can do exchanges. Within yes, the we fund. call that exchanges from one mutual fund to the other, to the other, to the other. And those are almost always commission-free with no charges. And those are very attractive benefits that the families of mutual funds offer. I do confess that I prefer the family of fund approach. If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919-872-7000. 919 so people should look into this or check into this and when they deal with their financial planner. 
I think looking at the consistency of the family, actually, Linda, is far more important than looking at the consistency of a fund manager. Very often, we are looking at a track record of a manager who is no longer there. He's been moved to another mutual fund in that family. What are some of the major types, the five major types of mutual funds that most people look at? Well, Linda, it's really hard to go ahead and encompass the whole world of mutual funds in one quick breath. But we could make a quick broad stroke and say that there are aggressive growth funds, and then there are growth funds, and then there are growth and income funds, and there are income funds, and there are sector funds. And that would be one way to look at them. They subcategorize into about 30 or 40 subcategories. But those five broad categories, aggressive growth funds, growth funds, growth and income funds, income funds, and sector funds are the five broad types. What about government funds? Government funds, Linda, are one of the, they would fall under the category of income funds. You see, income funds can be either investing in high-yielding stocks or bonds, and government funds are investing in government bonds. And the aim is to achieve high current income with maximum safety of principle. Okay. Thank you. You're sure welcome. If you'd like some further information, I'll be happy to send you some. If you'll call the office at 872-7000, and then we can give you some more detailed assistance. And we're going to take a caller right now. Go ahead, Jerry. How can I help you? Doug Lewis. Yes, thank you. Uh, uh, my daughter uh, blessed me with my uh, first grandchild six months ago. Mazel tov. Thank you. <laughs> That's congratulations. Yes. Um, and uh, consequently, I'm uh, thinking of, uh, of my will, uh-huh. with regard to a will. And uh, I was wondering, uh, are lawyers sufficiently uh, conversant with the matters that uh, you engage in to uh, be trusted, or should I see a financial planner first? That's a very good question. I'm glad that somebody finally asked that. No, they are not. We are not what they call a board-certified state. Some states, they're board-certified where they have to declare what they're specialist in. But no, attorneys are not versed in these. Some are and some aren't. You should be working with a certified financial planner who can work in tandem with the attorney, even help find the attorney so he can set up the strategy and the attorney can do the legal work. That's a very good question, Jerry. Uh, general reference to assets, property, and such in a will is not sufficient, from in your opinion. General reference? You mean for an attorney to know? Uh, well, merely to refer in, in the uh, matter of disposing of one's estate. Uh, you want to go through the numbers. I see. In other words, it's got to be numerically worked out, and that's where the attorney generally is not going to, he's not going to have that or whatever. Jerry, if you will call me at my office, I'd love to talk this more with you because this is a very touchy matter, and I, and it's one that's very dear to my heart because people get messed up real bad in this area. My number is 872 You're right. Uh, gifting strategies and working with a proper attorney are crucial. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Jerry. What is social capital? Social capital is the key to controlling all of your wealth. For many people, establishing a charitable remainder trust has led to the discovery of this powerful concept called social capital. You see, social capital is that part of our wealth that we cannot keep. For example, as you think about your wealth, you can see it consists of two parts. First, there is your personal financial capital. This is the wealth you spend and give to your heirs. It's wealth that you keep. So what's left? The second part. The wealth you can't keep, can't spend, and can't give to your heirs. This wealth we call social capital because it is destined by law to go to social uses beyond you and your family, to support education, defense, social services, and a host of other needs common to us all. Typically, we give up our social capital in the form of taxes and let it go at that. But when we do, we also give up control of that wealth. A glance at the federal budget tells us instantly that we have very little understanding of where our wealth goes and virtually no control at all over how it is used. Is there an alternative? Yes. Some way we can part with our social capital without giving up control of its use? Yes. That way is to establish a charitable remainder trust. As used by more and more clients these days, a charitable remainder trust turns what would have been tax dollars spent at the government's discretion into charitable gifts made to specific organizations that you choose. You have the same choice that many have today. 
You can set up a Charitable Remainder 664 Trust and learn how you can gain control to all of your wealth. Seek competent financial advice, and if you have any financial questions, call me at 872-7000. That's 872-7000. Don't forget, gain control of your social capital by learning how to use the Charitable Remainder Trust. And remember, your financial future is at stake. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. And you can also go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. A lot of listeners have been calling with questions about tax-free bonds, um, municipal bonds. And I was wondering, what do you think is the best way to buy these bonds? Exactly what are these muni bonds? That's a great question, Linda. I... Really, we need to understand a tax-free bond is, it's an IOU between you and a municipality. We call them munis or municipal bonds. It's a loan that you're making. If you buy a $10,000 municipal bond from the state of North Carolina, you're actually lending money to the state of North Carolina. And that's a tax-free municipal bond, a North Carolina muni. It's a guaranteed IOU. And let's say it's $10,000. That means that... You have loaned North Carolina $10,000, and they've given you back a piece of paper, which is an IOU, just like a CD is at the bank, and it says that they guarantee to pay you back your $10,000 at a certain time. Right. That's the maturity date. They guarantee to pay you back. It's an IOU. It's guaranteed to pay back by the North North Carolina to you. And along the way, they will pay you interest for loaning them the money. And because it's lent to the state of North Carolina... It's tax-free interest income that they're, you don't have to report the interest they're paying you. Okay? Now, that's one way. That's a tax-free municipal bond. Another way to buy tax-free bonds are through mutual funds of tax-free bonds. And a third way is through unit investment trust. Unit investment trust of tax-free bonds. So we have these three ways. You can buy one bond or you can buy into a whole pool of them a unit investment trust of tax-free bonds, or a mutual fund of tax-free bonds. Well, what is it when when a person buys through a unit investment trust? They are fixed portfolios of investments. There are a pool of them. It's a whole bunch of them packaged into one pool, and you buy an interest in that pool for maybe a $1,000 interest. So instead of, uh, if you want to invest $10,000, you buy $10,000 in a pool, which might have a million dollars, of municipal bonds, of tax-free bonds. And then you go ahead and the bonds are supposed to be held until the trust expires. So this is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call me this week. Let's sit down and discuss your situation. I'd love to hear from you. It's 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. So what happens while you're waiting? Um, do you get... The interest back? Yeah. As a matter of fact, while you're waiting, you get a pro rata share of the interest in all of the bonds in the entire pool. Now, if any of the bonds in the trust are sold, you also get a pro rata share of that principal. And then the remaining principal is distributed to you when the trust matures. So can you redeem your your shares early? Yes, you can. You can go ahead, just like in a mutual fund, you can sell your shares and come out of it early. But depending on the market conditions, you might get back more or less than you paid for it. I guess the larger question is, should a person buy a unit trust when, I mean, is there any other vehicle that's more suitable than buying a unit, you know? Yeah, the real question that I have, the larger question is, why do you buy a unit investment trust at all when you can buy a tax-exempt mutual fund or a municipal bond mutual fund? Because, you see, unit investment trusts claim that they outperform mutual funds, but who knows? Most trusts don't publish their data daily in the newspapers like a mutual fund. And then the unit investment trust will generally charge sales loads of anywhere between 3 and 5%, and that's fine. But the problem is that we don't know enough about them to really be able to track them. And if you can get a pool of, mutual, a pool of tax-free bonds in a mutual fund as opposed to a pool of municipal bonds in a unit trust, and the real question is, why should we go ahead and get them? There are a couple of other things I dislike. You can only get your dividends twice a year 
as opposed to... On a monthly basis, yes, right? Some of them do let you pay monthly, but as opposed to you cannot reinvest your dividend and go back in if you don't want it like you can in a mutual fund, so it can't compound for the future. So you're getting that little 25 or $50 check. The other thing is the principal is being paid out to you, and they'll reach a day when you get your last check and it's all over and you say, where's my money? And yeah. you don't realize you've been spending your principal along the way. Right. You've been getting a bigger payout, but you've also been shrinking the principal. So but I do like the unit investment trust better than the individual municipal bonds. Because of diversification, it's safer. What, would, what do you say sometimes? Eat, don't eat your chickens. Eat yeah. the eggs. Yeah, don't kill your chickens. <laughs> uh, eat the right. eggs. If you would like to call the office at 872-7000, I'll be happy to send information regarding this. Hey, Barbara, this is Doug Lewis, Linda Lewis, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planners. How can we help you this evening? Hey, how are you all today? Fine, fine. What's your question tonight? about the uh, retirement avenues, but my question is on the RMD for 59 and a half, not 70 and a half, if you wanted to take anything after 59 and a half, do you have to do that year after year after year like you do at 70 and a half, or can you do it when you want to do it? All right. Uh, there is no RMD at 59 and a half, so let's, uh, let's, uh, let's get ourselves uh a little clear on what the rules are, okay? Okay. All right. So first of all, if you try to take money from an IRA before you're 59 and a half, you can do that. There is no law that says you can't because it's your money. You, However, you pay taxes on it. Right. And you pay what's called an extra 10% penalty tax. That is... That, I'm, I'm right. saying if you're 59 I, I understand. and a half already... I understand. But okay. we have to start with that one. Once you're 59 and a half, then there are no rules. Okay. There are no rules. Now you can take out the minimum, the maximum, zero, or the whole thing. The, it, the only rule is, of course, that whatever you take out, you pay taxes on it. All right. Tell me a little bit about your situation, Barbara. How old are you? I'm 60. You're 60. You're married or single? I'm married. And what are you working or retired? Well, kind of not retired, but I could go back to work, but I'm not working. All right. What's your, uh, what have you accumulated thus far in your investment accounts that are not IRA or retirements? What do you, you mean outside of? Outside of all retirement accounts. Uh, well, I don't think I need to say what I, you mean what I got in the bank or savings? Or? Well, yeah. When you look at your two types of portfolios, when we, dis- right. when we discuss financial planning, there are two broad types of portfolios. One are IRAs, 401ks, 403bs. These are retirement accounts. And Roth accounts. And Roth. Then you have another kind of account, which are non-retirement at all. Or or, um, any other avenues, like your bank savings. Cash accounts, stocks, bonds, mutual funds. All the other mutual mutual funds. funds, The the important thing is that we need to have both of these, and I like to call them two pockets to one pair of pants. They both belong to you, but... It's important to know which one to draw from when you have needs. And now we come to the tax issue. So how much have you accumulated? Well, basically, most of mine is in 401k or in my IRAs or my Roth. I have Roths as well. All right. Uh, and I have a pension. I haven't started taking it yet. All right. Um, well, now, That's pretty much my savings. So take out a pen and paper, write down our number. It's 919-872-7000. Hold on to that pen and paper, and maybe you'll get some ideas of things you should talk about. All right. Now, when from the 401k and the R and the IRA between the ages of 59 and a half and 70 and a half, there are no rules. Okay. So if you do take it one year, you don't have to take it the following year if you don't want to. That's, That's exactly correct, Barbara. Okay. Once you hit 70 and a half, yes, then of course you hit the RMD provision. Right, right. And and then it's very often uh it's where with our clients, and I and I encourage you to jot down our phone number. I'd be happy to meet with you and go over the specifics of yours. Our phone number is seven thousand. Oh, you got it. <laughs> then also go to our website. Have you been to our new website yet? I haven't been lately, but I have been on your website before. Oh, you would be shocked to see now. We've got all kinds of videos with a hit. Oh, you you will like it. You will like it. Um, so anyway, as a matter of fact, it took a year to get the thing completed, but <laughs> we like it a lot. All right. Anyway, my point is. That once you start drawing from the retirement accounts using the RMD, now we come to the question of what do we do with this money? For some, you have to take the minimum. 
Right. But on the other hand, you can take more than the minimum and invest it even though you don't need it because at the time of your death, what's in the 401k, I'm sorry, what's in the IRA, it does not get step up in basis and it's taxed heavily. On the other hand, everything that's in a non-retirement portfolio at the time of your death gets step up in basis and is inherited tax-free by your children. So you want to consider this movement of monies. That's in, the advantage of doing that. Then. That's exactly right. And that's where we do, we build the, the strategy of having the two portfolios for clients like yourself that mainly have accumulated in retirement portfolios. Then we play some what ifs about drawing out more than the RMD to build the other portfolio. Uh, and of course, you have to plug in the pension, Social Security and all those all right. factors there to see what they need. Well, if you're you're not working and you got an avenue to do that, figure taxes before seventy and a half. If you can graciously want to pay, pay taxes, you might as well think about it. So. That's right. You have to put all the pieces together, Barbara. Right. You really you don't do. Have in- other sources of income. So. And 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 the most important thing is your comfort level. If you right. need the money, it's available to you, right? Right. So let's say you want to surprise your husband and say, "Honey, let's take a cruise." We don't have to wait till retirement. Let's take a four-day vacation and go to Williamsburg. Uh, you know, if you wanted to do some something like that, you do have the option, but you would want to work with your advisor right? and, and just get some advice on, you know, how much am I going to owe extra in taxes because I'm making this withdrawal. Right, because that's the whole big picture then. Yes, ma'am. All right. Well, I do appreciate your info, and I love your show. Oh, thank you so much. If something has popped in your head tonight, give me a call during the week. My number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. And don't forget to go to our website, DougAndLinda.com, DougAndLinda.com. You can see a video of us, and you can hear radio clips. Find out more about how we treat clients in our office, and we also give away a free copy of the book, Middle Class Millionaire, to those who come to the office for appointments as the couple last week received their free copy. Thank you for joining us for another edition of Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. You can listen to our podcast online at WPTF.com. Call us to set your appointment this week, 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Saturday and Sunday at 5 p.m. for Money Matters with the Lewises on 680 WPTF.